What up, y'all? This is back. This is the Feedback Podcast. This is the last episode of the year. So first of all, I want to thank all the guests that we've had this year. Uh, we were able to relaunch uh, back in May, and it was great to have all the people talk about all kinds of stuff from politics to music, video games, anime, uh, you name it. We talked on a lot of things this year. Um, 2020 sucked. We all agree on that. But there was some good sides to it, let's be honest. Um, and I hope 2021 is even better for you. So if you're listening to this in 2020, good. If you listen to this in 2021, happy new year. And in this episode, number 186, uh, talk about comedy. I wanted to wrap up on a good note and I invited Rob Morris and Pat Bernard to talk about the comedy journey, uh, from, uh, early beginnings, open mics, different, um, ways that open mics work. Uh, we talk about joke writing. Uh, we talk about underrated comics and basically how we how we live in it. So I say we, but I'm I'm start I'm gonna get back into it in 2021. I promise you that I'm very motivated. There's a lot of comedy in Austin coming to Austin, and actually wherever you're listening this listening to this from, support your local comedy scene. Check out shows online. Uh, listen to comedy podcasts. We need comedy more than anything. Comedians need stage time to practice their jokes and make you laugh. And you need more laugh in your life right now. After the shitty year we just had, we need to laugh more. We need to take ourselves less seriously and really embrace something as common as get together and have a good laugh. So without further ado, episode one. 86. Let's go. You are listening to the Feedback Podcast with my homie Back. All right. Welcome to the Feedback Podcast, everybody. My name is Back. Thank you for tuning in. And this is the, I guess, last episode of the year. It's been a shitty year, as we all know, for everybody. Uh, and to wrap up the year, I wanted to have some comics and funny people on the show. So welcome, Rob Morris. How you doing, man? Hey, what's up, dude? Good to see you. Thank you for being here. Appreciate it. You do it all. You produce. You do stand up. You do. You you direct too, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, my main job is uh, running the Romo Room in Austin, Texas, uh, with the other guys over there, and mm -hmm. uh, produce reality television these days in Los Angeles as well. So those are, those are my two main gigs right now. Where you at now? LA or you still? Uh, right now, I'm I'm in Austin. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, wait. Yes. <laughs> be sure. I lose track of it. And we got Pat Bernard. How you doing, man? Back, man. How you doing, brother? Thank you. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you. Wait, your thing says Pat, too. How you? Yeah, I did not have time to, to make the comedic profile. So that's, that's my government name. Oh, it's all good. It's all good. It's yeah, all good. if anyone wants to find me, that's how. <laughs> <laughs> the identity theft starts today yeah here we go <laughs> so no, back to you. Mm -hmm. we met at the romo room pre-quarantine yes i do this thing i've been doing this thing for the past couple of years where i start doing stand-up in january for some reason and i go to open mics and uh two years ago i did the funniest person in austin contest um and then, no it was last year sorry it was last year and then this year, again, I started in January and I found about the Romo Room. I'm like, 
sweet, another room we can go and do stand-up. And that's how, that's how I met you guys. And by the way, thank you for that, Rob, for putting that together. Uh, love the room. Uh, I, I mean, this, is my, this, this was going to be my second year, and I, you know, I keep meeting people who are coming here doing stand-up and funny motherfuckers. So, you know, thank you for doing that. Definitely needed now more than ever. And uh, now I hope he's going. But how, how do you guys? How do you guys know each other? We had ahead, met Pat. through. Yeah, we had met through a mutual friend, and I was hitting the regular open mic scene, going to the same old spots. And a uh, mutual friend of ours, Dean Stanfield, and mm-hmm. tells me, "You gotta check out this room." And I think it was one of the first shows that their name had changed, and it was Romo Room. And I stop in and I see the place. And Rob tells the story very, very in an awesome way where he's like, oh, this is like one of the worst nights this place has ever had. Like it was just like four people were there. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was awesome. I thought the project, I thought the philosophy behind it was like rad as hell. And so I kept coming back. I kept coming back. They never kicked me out. And little did I know it was going to lead to Rob and I producing celebrity shows and, and, and doing things big in Austin. And so we had met uh, in January or or even December. Uh, I want to say maybe February even. Wow. Like late. Yeah. If it was January, it was the end of the month. Wow. Well, and this, year, of this year. That's yeah. when you started the room, right? Oh, that's wow. right. Man. Yeah, thought, absolutely. And so why made you want to start a, a room? I mean, at the time, well, Capsidy was still around. There was still a bunch of open mics around. And you're like, no, I'm just going to do my own thing and open the room and get a bunch of funny people in. I wish it had been such a clean and simple uh, thing that we tried <laughs> to do. Uh, you know, it, it, it was quite a, a crazy ride. I, I, I haven't really broken down this story to anybody, and, and I, I certainly don't want to tell it like the saga it deserves to be told as. That's going to mm-hmm. be its own, uh, you know, autobiographical chapter at some point. Uh, but so basically, here's, here's the, the short version of what happened for me with the Roma Room, how it came to be. Um, you know, I'm from Austin originally. I grew up here, uh, you know, I moved here when I was like six or seven, and I lived here all the way till I left for college. And I, I fell in love with stand-up when I was a little kid. I put it off for a really long time doing it myself. I finally got into it in like 2016, started doing it consistently and, and hitting mics in LA. I was living, living in Los Angeles at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was going around the valley. I'm going to Burbank. I am trying to go to the West Hollywood clubs and stuff like that. Uh, you know, but it's a hell of a scene out there. Just like New York, it's the best in the world are right there and uh, the worst in the world are also uh, you. And so it, you know, it, 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 it's daunting to be in a big place like that. And one of the things that sucks about being anywhere where you're brand new at stand-up comedy is you want to try to get stage time and you want to get as much of it as you can. Mm -hmm. And when I say as much of it as you can, I don't mean as many three minute sets as you can fit into the night. Like if you, that's not a bad grind, but you want to try, like, I want to try five. I want to try seven. I want to try 10. Can I do 10? Like, mm-hmm. y- you want to start to do that. And that can be really tough when you're brand new because no one wants to fucking watch you do 10 minutes of stand-up when you've never done it before. Like, I understand that. I've done it and watched it. I, I get mm-hmm. the elements. But there was this place uh, in North Hollywood called Fourth Wall. And Fourth Wall was a pay-to-play mic. You paid $5 uh, to do five minutes. And some oh, people had a... Is that, yeah. is, is that a, I didn't know that was the thing. Uh, yeah. Like you pay to actually get on stage. Yep. Absolutely. And it was an me, actual comedy club, but it, it wasn't like a bar or something. 
it wasn't a club or a bar. It was a fucking beat out room in a North Hollywood strip mall that was painted black. It was a straight room with a big wall in the front that says fourth wall on it and a stage mm -hmm. and a mic and a, a bunch of shitty chairs. It was a dirt hole. And I fell in love with that fucking place. And let me tell you why. Uh -huh. I would go to Flappers. I would go to the improv and do these club mics, you know, the same thing that you would do on uh, Sunday night at Cap City. You right. go up there, you do three minutes, you hope the bookers are there. They're not. You go home and you try again next week. Mm -hmm. And it's the same grind at the clubs in, in LA. You, you go to the store and you do potluck. You go to the improv and you do the lab. I mean, it's, it's the same vibe. But there's only so many slots. They do fucking lotteries. Sometimes you get on, sometimes you don't. So all these other methods started showing up to try to create the possibility for people to get a lot of stage time. Because you could go to Flappers and try to get on the mic, but they do a lottery pulling out of a bucket. So you mm -hmm. could spend two hours at this mic and not get up and then leave because there's twice as many tickets as there are slots. So I spent, and I, you know, I had a job, so I'm running around at night trying to do mics and I'm spending half my night at bars and clubs watching shitty open mic comics and not even getting to go up and practice myself. And I was like, this, how am I ever gonna get good at this? Like I went to a conservatory uh, for mm -hmm. acting and directing. That was my like college thing. So I kind of got brainwashed about craft and I really believe in if you want to, you know, the 10,000 hour shit, like if you want to get great at something, it takes a long ass time and you got to fuck it up a lot. And yeah. I wanted to do that with stand up. I wanted to get in it. I wanted to fuck it up. I wanted to play. And I was begging to find 10 minutes a week. Then I found a place that was like, look, you sign up online the day before or the day of you type in your name. When you get there, you Venmo the guy five bucks and you get five whole minutes. It's only the other comics in the room. It's only an hour long. And then it's over and then we do another one. And so it became this thing of like, if you hung around this shitty place, you could mm -hmm. get up and do 20 minutes in one night. Like, yeah, it cost oh. you 20 bucks. Yeah, it, it cost did. you 20 bucks. <laughs> it did. But dude, I was that hungry. And to be fair, not everybody has that 20 bucks. But I had the 20 bucks and didn't want to spend all night at the fucking bar just blowing money on drinks anyway. I'm like, mm -hmm. I want to go to a place and fucking practice. And the only place, you know, it was like being a studio musician and not having your own instrument. you got to go to a place and rent their shit for an hour so you can get better. And I, I saw it like that. I was like, man, I'll give you the $5. Let me do five minutes. And I know when it's going to be. I can do another one if I want to. So I fell in love with that. They started opening up all over town. They were booked constantly. They're always full. Because people were in love with the fact that they could do it at a specific time. But not everybody. A lot of people fucking hate it. Just mm -hmm. like Austin was not a fan of it. There's plenty of people in LA who were like, you don't charge people to do stand-up. That's stupid. That's, I that get, sounds weird to me, yeah. I get it. You put it like that, it does sound bad. But you say like, hey man, time is money. And you're going to get the time for sure. And it's going to be at this place. And you know what? Trying to make eight other comics laugh is hard. But you want it to be easy or not. Hard shit's how you get better. And that's, that's, a, that's a specific experience. Um, so that was my experience in LA. And I thought to myself every winter and occasionally summer, I'd come home to Austin. I'd try to do some stand-up and get up on stage. Same gig. I'm running around. These mics are three hours long. There's 30 people. All the friends are going up first. You got to, you know, maybe it's a lottery. Maybe it's not. Everybody hangs out in the lobby or out on the patio yeah well, I was out and on the you, parking lot 
<laughs> yeah, and you got three people actually watching your comedy show anyway. When back in LA, I had to pay, but at least I had eight fucks who had to sit in the room. Because when you do that open mic in LA, the paid, mm. you can't be outside. Everyone has to stay in the room and you can't leave till it's over. But it's only 50 minutes long. So to me, that was a fine deal. And these fucks, even if they're looking at their phone, they got to sit in the seats and be there. And if I can get their attention, I might have something here. So I'm thinking to myself, Austin needs a room like this. It needs a space where if you don't want to do it the other way and you got the five fucking dollars, you could learn how to do this shit and put in some fucking time. And you could keep doing the free shit too if you want. I thought win-win. Yeah, yeah. I tried to open this place. Uh, we got the lease in December. Uh, I tried to open it in January. Wait, did you, did and, you just go around and like shop for a room or did you know? Like how did you came back to Austin and you're like, I first of all I need to find a place. Yeah. And the setup and all that. And like Pat, you didn't know about any of this, right? I didn't know about Rob's thing until it found me. And back I'll say true that what Rob's describing happened almost verbatim, like checklist to me, that I had started doing Austin comedy in November of last. And, and Wait, November was, of 2019. That's right. And, okay. and I was getting on pretty regularly, I think, cause it was the end of the year and, and people weren't trying to go out and it was just mm -hmm. a different time. And as soon as the new year hits, all of a sudden the things that Rob's describing, just click on where you have 35 people waiting for a list to get dropped the the list gets put down and then like uh, moths to a light they all yep. go to it and i have to say i don't know if it's pretentious of me or not but i don't i'm not doing that i'm 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 not crowding around a piece of paper to get on for 3 minutes an hour and a half from now and so i see everyone crowd i i know that the booker the host of the thing is going to put their friends on first and mm -hmm. it's going to be a while until i go on <clears throat> so i had a night when i went out intent on doing stand up Room is packed. List gets put out. Moss to a light. I get up after the the crowd is dispersed and there's no more spots and there's no more waiting list spots. And I just go home. And so all of a sudden, this Romo room idea, it just won the. It just won. It was just an easy decision to make, and I understand the uh, uh, trepidation with the money. But if you went through it like I went through it, it was the decision was made for me that I, I need stage time. I had a night at the Roman room where I did 43 minutes, just workshopping. And I got, I left better. And what I could have done was haul downtown, get yeah. seven minutes of stage time. That's four hours long. If you don't buy a drink, they look at you sideways. I'm spending the same amount of money anyway. And yeah, it just, it, it won. And I'm glad that it won in my mind because I became a better comic because of the Roma room. Well, and to clarify yeah. a little bit. I, 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 I will second Go that. Go ahead. <laughs> but I, honestly, I, I, I was, when, when I went up and I'd never done seven minutes before. And I think that's, I think that's what, no, no, I, I think I did seven minutes once. Uh, but anyway, yeah, about the grind, you're absolutely right. I mean, my, my first time uh, last year, um, I went to um, take butt, and then same thing. Like I just, I, you know, and I and I and I knew I didn't I didn't know anybody. And I'm like, look, I'm, I'm I just want to go up and up. But I understand the process because I've heard comics talk about it a lot. I mean, pro 
professional comics today talk about, hey, yeah, you gotta you gotta work your way up. You gotta get to know the host, and you gotta show your face, and you gotta you know you gotta meet other comics, and then you gotta it's it's a very it's a tight circle when you think about it, for sure. And you see it when you go to open mics, you go, okay, there's a group, there's this group over there. And then there's all the people who never been here before. We don't even know what to do. We're just sitting around trying to figure shit out. And meanwhile, these guys have been doing it for a minute. They're not like, yo, come on over. Let me show you. Or, hey, you want to not like run new jokes by me, like something welcoming. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's always, it always appears like, yes, it's gone. If you really want to want to do it, you got to get on stage. And if you want to get on stage, yes, you're going to have to drive all over town to get as many, as much stage time as, as possible. Right. And it's supposed to get better, but you're right. I, I see, I see the value in that. Definitely. It's like skipping the line. Really. It's like you're guaranteed stage time. Well, and the the point that we were always making and to clarify, I should backtrack a little bit. And mm -hmm. we never at the Roma room charged anybody for stage time. We never ended up doing that yes. uh, because when we originally said, hey, we're going to be opening this place. Like we went on Facebook and we're trying to announce it before we opened so that when we first opened, people would be there. And it, we were like, look, it's super simple. $5, five minutes. You can get in, you can get out, you can do a bunch. Add this to your rotation. We were not trying to replace or remove any yes. other open mic or system in town. It was just like more time. You know, yep. you were like, I can do two mics a night sometimes. How about five? Like, you know, it's, it's just about the idea of getting more time in and uh, that that's really all it is. And, and it's like, you know, you get to the, it's kind of like a video game. It's like, you can only grind so much to get your character to a certain level. And then sometimes the game has microtransactions. Like you give us 20 bucks, you get 20 more levels. And it's like, some people have a problem with that, but at the same time, it's like, you can't buy yourself into being a better comic, but you have to have the stage time to get better. And yep. sometimes it's not available to you. So basically what happened was we announced we're going to do this. The community exploded with outrage and, and canceled oh, really? culture against me personally. Like you, you actually put out the model out there and said, this is how we're right. going to operate. And people yes. shit on that. They lost their fucking minds. Wow. And I say that, I say that to say like, dude, I work in Hollywood. I watch people get canceled left and right all the time. That's part of my business. Mm -hmm. Uh, this is the most, it was the most viciously I'd ever been personally attacked for anything ever in my life. And, you know, I look like name this. Names, I get, I get attacked all the time. It's not even important, like, who no, it was. No, no. Yeah. And I say this specifically, like, it would be really easy to do so because they're definitely, like, key players who had a problem with it. But it's also, as Pat and I were discussing at the show we did at the Brass Tap this last weekend, you know, we have more of an interest in being historically correct about what we offer the community than we have in taking vengeance against somebody or trying to crush somebody. Like there's a saying that I really love. Um, I, I don't know if it's attributed to him, if, if it's his own saying, but uh, he says it a lot. Uh, it's a Gary Vaynerchuk thing. He says, there's two ways to build the highest building in town. You can build the tallest building or you can build a building and knock down everybody else's so yours is the tallest. And a lot of people are so intent on doing that second one because they think it's easier or righteous to mm -hmm. make sure no one else succeeds so that we, because we're obviously the best ones, so we should make sure that we can maintain our gatekeeper status and our control and our power and make sure that anyone else who tries to seize that from us is put down so that we can provide the best thing for everybody. And 
as much as I have a fucking giant Bernie Sanders thing on my wall, I believe in capitalism and competition <laughs> and like fucking we'll put a big circle around that. Yeah, do it, man. It's a hundred percent. You're like, this guy's full of shit. He's charging people. I thought everything was free. Uh, no, fair point. Fair point. Um, no, but I really do. I believe in competitive uh, competition and I think in, you know, comedy especially, which I think we all agree should be just fundamentally a meritocracy. It should just be like the best, do the best. Yeah. Because if you're the best at it, you do the best. You make people laugh the most, you're the best, then you do the best. And if you're trying to figure out who the best is, then we need to allow people the opportunity to get up more often and it all cascades. So, so what we did, instead of opening, we changed our name because people so associated the name that we were going to open with, with this model that what we scrapped. It? it was called the Daily Open Mic. So the place was going to be called The Daily. So I was like, welcome to The Daily. And it was like uh-huh. The Daily Open Mic because we have an open mic every single day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the idea. We scrapped that because everybody uh, had a problem with it. And more importantly we didn't want to be associated with people who were predatory. You know, we, we actually were trying to provide a service that we thought was valuable to everybody. So we didn't want to have it labeled right next to us. So these are the guys trying to rip everybody off. It's like mm-hmm. actually the opposite. We're not trying to take advantage of everybody. We're trying to make sure everybody gets more opportunity, whether or not you get that. Uh, so what we did is we spun it. We had one name for like a week. We did an open mic. Uh, a few people came a bunch of audience members came. It was like two thirds full and we had a blast. It was like our first thing. Nobody showed up until like five minutes before the show started. So we were like, this is a, this is a bust. And then they all showed up and That's I was like, awesome. okay. Yeah. And Nobody wants to be the first right. one there. <laughs> so it's like five till showtime. We fill the house two thirds. We have a great show. Everybody has a good time. Everyone, especially the comics were like, holy shit. Everyone did like seven minutes. Most of them had never done three, mm-hmm. uh, more than three. And uh, so. We had a good time. Then the next week, we were like, let's do it again. Fuck it. Let's see if we can do it again. We won't charge anybody, but we'll keep having people. We'll do these shows and open mics and see if we can find a way to start making money doing something else with this so that we can pay the rent and the lights. That's all we were trying to do. Mm-hmm. The next week, we have another one, and Dean brings Pat. And that one, zero audience members came to. For some reason. Really? No. Yeah, Pat, do no you remember that? Came. I do. Is that that I was, was your first time? That was your first time up? Yeah, Dean was like, dude, you gotta check this place out. And then I was like, okay. And then we saw it and I was like, okay. Yeah. 100%. So you perform in front of Rob and Dean? <laughs> yeah, and some and like guy named uh, Aaron. Yeah, some guy named Aaron, yep. Aaron, who did potentially the the most committed worst humor like set I've ever seen. But like you gotta give him credit. Sweet guy. I mean, he, sweet, yeah, oh yeah, good man. He was. He's a very sweet man. I uh, haven't yeah. seen him since. Nope. But I remember. He went, he went and there's nobody there. So it was like, fuck it. This is not for me, maybe. But what was, I think, well, Pat, and you can speak to this. Like, what made you want to come back after doing that room the way that it was? I knew that there would be stage time. And, like, we keep circling back to it. But that's what it is, is that, like, I didn't care if it was just me. You had the doors open and at least you were going to fucking be there. So, like... We were going to close them on me. So I was going to go, I was going to do it. And I was going to get stage time. And that's what mattered to me. And just to circle back for a bit, uh, back when you were talking about like the community hated it. I uh, personally, a, a couple of comics as well, who were invested in the Roma room, uh, got blackballed from places, but like, I was only like three months into it. So uh-huh. like they were black, they were like, you don't get to do 
Cap City or Velveeta Room. And I was like, because, I was never getting booked there anyway. Romero? Yeah, because I was getting yeah, because I was like associated with the Romo room. That's it wasn't crazy like to me. it wasn't like I, directly said to me, but it was it was it implied it was clear that but it was like you're you're not gonna get on a cap city in Velveeta and it was like fucking sick. I don't get to have sex with Kate Upton either. I don't know why <laughs> I can't do that. It means anything to me. That's okay. back you should have somebody on who was against us at the time and talk to them about it. You should get their I, perspective. I, I would love I would love to because it it's the the community, first of all. Um, Austin, like Cap City is, was pretty much the rest in peace. I did a whole show about that. Can go back um, right. and listen to it. Uh, Cap City was basically the Mecca comedy here, right? All the grace I've gone through it. We, um, and then besides that, there's, yeah, there's Velveeta room downtown and then the rest, <clears throat> and the rest is just open mics all over town. Like even, even the concept of a showcase didn't come until much later, like aside from, you know, Cap City and Bellevue to Rome. And so when, when comedy started getting, getting popular and, and I was, I was surprised myself that I would find so many, uh, I would meet so many local comics when I, when I first started. And I was, a, I was a judge for the funniest person in Austin twice, two years in a row. And so a lot of people that, that I saw at open mics when I started, I judged them on the, on the contest. And I'm like, I'm glad you're still you're still around, but it's actually a community here. And it, it blows my mind when I when I hear people who are all grinding the same way. Like they know what the formula, we've been we're gonna repeat that over and over again. But stage time, that's all there is. You can only practice, get better if you practice, and you have to be on stage. You have to be in front of people. It's not like guitar, you can go in the basement, you know, practice, you know, hibernate for a winter and come out and you're Jimi Hendrix. Or maybe not. But Point is, you have to do it in front of people. That's the only way. You can be the best writer in the world, but unless you test your material, there's no way to tell whether it's funny or not. And so, yeah, the idea that yeah, I'm a that there's one way to do comedy. There's there's one way to get to that to that goal is is ridiculous. Yeah, and I'm you gonna give me some names off the air, and I'm gonna call them up and say, look, man, I gotta I gotta know. Yeah, <laughs> no, might not, I will. might not be doing better now. They could have used that just like anybody else. Yeah, I think it's it's hard to say. You know, some of them, some people, I feel like had a very fair attitude of like, "Look, man, I'm already broke, and comedy is like the thing that's fun for me. And do you want to start taking the thing that I do five times a week, and now it costs me twenty five dollars a week if I come to your place to do it, and I'm not into that. It's that does not bother us. The idea that people are like, this isn't really for me. I don't want to do it. Does not hurt our feelings." But there were people, like Pat said, who were actively, like, blackballing comics. We tried to book an opening show, like, the first show we were going to have there. And, like, mm -hmm. I tried to book a showcase for the opening. Uh, and I had, like, three different comics that were fairly prominent. Like, I went to a bunch of open mics before I opened uh, what was the Daily. They were everywhere. You know, every fucking open mic, they were there. I went and watched them. I liked their sets. I booked them. They all bailed one at a time. Or we, they'd be like, hey, never mind, I can't do the show. Oh, no, I'm off. No, I don't want to do it. And it became so clear that people were telling them, look, if you're going to go do that, you're not going to do anything with us. Even on Facebook, right when it blew up, uh, two pretty prominent bookers in Austin said they were early commenters. Anyone who associates with this will never work with me again. And the idea that that that, that would hit them so hard 
we did at least uh, Anthony Bain and I, who was very early on, he's one of our OGs and he and I were talking about it in December when it all happened, it, it all happened around Christmas. Uh, it was like, other than the fact that this is unfair and it hurts our feelings, mm-hmm. what is the thing in the core here that they're so deeply upset about? Because people don't lose their shit for no reason. It may not be a good reason, but they have one. And so I'm, I, we really dug into it to try to understand the other side, dude. We really did. And what we ended up with was we want to do the same model. We won't charge you for the fucking time. If that's the problem, we'll find out another way. But we want to open an, an open mic theater that has open mics every single day that offers five, seven minute sets to people, 10 minute sets. Like this is important and we want to make it. If we have to find another way to pay for it, we will. That wasn't the thing we were excited about. Right, and that's right. what everybody thought. They're like, oh, they, these guys thought they, they think they found a way to make more money off of us. And it's like, nah, no, well- dude. I mean, it's not just that, because I mean, when when I came in the first time, you're like, hey, if you want to donate whatever for a drink, I mean, you get the you get drinks and snacks. And then you're like, oh, by the way, we actually record your set. Right. And you can you can you can get that. And I'm like, that's a no fucking brainer. Yeah. It's a no brainer. So, wow. Yeah, that's what it that's comes what down to. That's what we did. We recalculated and we tried to find value. Like, what's the value? Exactly. Like, if you think in terms of business, like, what value are you providing? Right. What, who, who are your customers? And that's it. The value is, look, you get guaranteed stage time. You get recorded. You get to hang out in a room. You, you're going to have an audience. Well, except for that right. time Pat showed up the first time. And then the only time we ever didn't have it <laughs> is the one time Pat came. Were you, were you sad? Were like, were you bummed out or? No, I, I wasn't was, bummed. I knew it was a I cool wasn't. place and it had potential. And okay, but Very back, cool. I'll ask you that. I mean, the the thing that matters. How did you feel when you came? Right, I feel welcomed because usually you go to open, you go to open mic and everybody is kind of just hanging around. If they know each other, because they've been they see the same faces, they kind of huddle together, and you kind of know. It's it's like your first day at school. Like you don't know where you're supposed to sit, and the clicks are already established, and you're kind of looking around, and you don't know what to you don't know what to do. And, oh, there's a there's a paper. I gotta go. Oh shit, I'm, I'm last now, and I'm going to sit around, and and I don't I don't know. I need to I need to practice my set but i want to learn from these guys because apparently they've been doing it longer than i am because i'm at the fucking bottom of the list and yet you you show up to the romo room and then rob comes up and he goes yo man you know welcome this is nice nice sound we do podcasts here too you know donate we got drinks and stuff and we're going to record your set and just email me and i'll send it to you i think the coolest part as well is that the the project in its first forum was around for three months four months yeah and yet yeah. somehow like that that crop of guys that were there first like if you look at town and look at like who's doing stuff it's the good majority of who's working and grinding and and so like it just empowered people for what yeah. it was and it'll be back and and it'll do it again and but i think that when you look at the scene right now, I, uh, the fingerprints are all over it. That's good. That's good. It feels like the end of the show already because we're talking about <laughs> for so long. Yeah, yeah I dude. Even it no, but hold on. But I mean, let, let's let's backtrack. No pun. Um, because 
Pat, like you say, you started last November, and you guys are relatively young. Not relatively, you are young, not relatively. I'm old. Can't tell. How old are you? Yeah, 57. <laughs> 57, 57 or 21 pick one it's the same right. either way it's the same thing this has not changed maybe a little bit uh. more and less hair other than that same shit you can ask all my friends uh now nah, i'm 38 oh nice. well you know what they say asian don't raisin yeah I'm that not doesn't asian. apply here like but yeah, no. they say that i don't crack at least I get oh, that right. That's the one. Yes. Fuck. And I'm African, not African-American. I'm African. We don't crack for shit. Sun doesn't even crack <laughs> us. Um, what, what part of Africa I'm, are you from? I'm not that far behind you. Senegal. Okay. Wow. You can get. Yeah. Yeah. How My roommate's you? from Cote d'Ivoire. Cote d'Ivoire? Yeah. People say Cote d'Ivoire. They don't say Ivory Coast anymore? They don't say, because it's like, like, I don't know why, but they got away. You think of all the countries that like should have gotten away you know, like like Espana should have gotten away with not being called Spain anymore, but yeah. somehow Cote d'Ivoire has like like <laughs> like gotten underneath everything and like it's not Ivory Coast anymore, bro. It's I mean, you say, you say France, you don't say France. If you say right. France, you're a douchebag. First, yes, <laughs> for whatever for reason. For some reason, that, Ivory yeah. Coast is this like no, not good. Cote d'Ivoire, <laughs> like, Cote d'Ivoire. If you don't say it the right way, like don't try. It's kind of right. Kind of weird. It's weird. <laughs> I don't get that. Uh, but anyway, um, how did you, how did you, like, what was the bug that, cause you know, you, did you grow up with, with comedy? You have like family. It's for me. Family is a comedy show. Like what's, what was it? Man. I, so back, I guess there, there are three kind of pillars um, that I could build it on. Um, one being that I remember being very young and uh, okay. I have one sister, mom and a dad. And when I would be in my room and they would start cracking up in the living room, when I wasn't there, I got mad. I got mad that I wasn't a oh. part of whatever that was, entertainment or whatever else. Um, I remember putting on like sketches and, and plays for my parents because I, I, I thought that stuff was cool. And I didn't dig on stand-up until I saw Mitch Hedberg. And oh, it's, oh, it's – yeah, yeah, yeah. generation. Is yeah, it? dude. Yeah, it just like was an intersectional thing, and and I was probably like eight or nine. And his, was it the comedy? The Comedy Central presents. Yes, and I had no idea how whacked out he was in that special till years later. <laughs> but I remember watching <laughs> it, and it was it just clicked because it was like all whatever I thought was stand up before was like I was too young to get it, but this was like the most digestible thing. It was just like this guy has jokes. And you could tell your grandpa some, you could tell your friend some, you could tell your mom some. And based off of that, I remember telling my parents, like, turn this on. This is amazing. My parents were born in the 50s, so, like, they're 70s babies. So they're watching it going, what is he on? God damn. Like, why is our son watching this? But I thought it was so funny. I did stand up at the fourth grade talent show and, like, wrote jokes and, like, did it. And wow. so I always had, because of that, I always had a passion for comedy. I always had a passion for like entertainment and, and just being like a valuable asset in a room that's having fun. And, and so I didn't, I didn't attend to the bug until I was in college. Um, I was so two years ago. <laughs> I don't know, man. You look, you, you look 21 to me. Uh, 27 is the age. 
27 is the age. And for those at home who are wondering how I keep such a fresh look, uh, I don't know. It just happened. I don't use Jorgens. facial moisturizer. Jorgens, no. Nope. No, not even Jorgens? <laughs> I don't even use soap. No. So I was a Damn, junior in college, and uh, they had a stand-up uh, event at the end of the year, and I signed up for it. And I did stand-up, um, and it was the first time I, like, properly did it, I guess since fourth grade, but that doesn't even count. And so I did it. it. And then I just couldn't get away from it after that. And I, I, I would go to New York. This was such a money suck and such a silly thing I did. But mm-hmm. I would go to New York twice a week, sometimes three times a week and do stand-up. And I would go to these open mics and like cut out days. And just – I never forget it back. I, I would drive to the Rutherford train station, get on that bitch, drive – take the train to Secaucus, get off at Secaucus, take it to Penn Station, get mm-hmm. off and trudge it and, and, and spend the whole day – I'll never forget how much fun that was. I'll never forget how nice everyone was. Like while you're there in New York scene, City, man. When you're in the building, when when you're there, everyone is nice as shit. When they're out, when it's like they're about to go do, do a second mic, or uh-huh. they're about to go grab food, it's all right, bro. Which about to get into? And but, like beat it. Like at that point, yeah. But like while you're in the building, everyone is just so nice. And I did that for about a year. There was I did get paid for it once. I, I did a show in Brooklyn, and I got paid for it. And it was at that point when everything my, – my parents had to talk to me about it. Like, what is the goal with this? Is this honestly something you want to do? Because I was, I was bleeding my money. I was bleeding theirs because it was an expensive hobby to get into to travel from northeastern Pennsylvania to New York mm-hmm. City two or three times a week. And, and as well, I had a, a comedian who I considered my mentor on the New York comedy scene who had a master's it? in electrical engineering. Is he, is he a new comic? His name then is not known by many folks. He does, he does time still at like Gotham and stuff. And, but he's not, he's not a name at all. He, he looks like black Ray Romano. Um, black Ray Romano. Yeah, yeah. His name is uh, Jason. And I feel so bad. The years have passed. I forget what his last name was. And, but he's family, his family was getting evicted from their house. And his only form with a master's in electrical engineering, his only thing was stand up. And I remember getting up in front of the room. It was at the mm-hmm. stand. And I remember getting in front of the room and being like, this is plan A. This is what I want to do. And I had people who were actively doing it, who, who were invested in the thing that I wanted to do, tell me, please, no, don't do this. And so that affected me a lot. My parents' conversation affected me a lot. And so I took a five-year, four-year break from it. And it, it would always scratch in my mind. I would tell people shit. Like I used to do stand up. I used to do stand up. And I then had uh, one of my good friends uh, who lives in Austin. His brother came down. We're from mm-hmm. the same hometown, uh, this guy uh, uh, in Austin and, and I. And his brother came down to visit. And he's like, you're not doing stand up? I said, no. And he goes, oh, why do you keep telling people that you used to do it then? Ooh, and I was like, ooh, oh, shit. You on like, fire under your ass? That's, that's like- <laughs> cut. Yeah, that really did. That cut. But he, oh. he knew what he was doing. I, I've known that family. I knew the guy who talks that shit since, like, third grade. That's so, such like, an he, East Coast comment. Yep. Yeah, no shit. Like, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I'm going to say some shit about that. <laughs> like, you're not doing stand-up? Why do you keep telling people that you used to do it? Oh. Well, you think you're better than me? That is the next one. <laughs> yeah, that is better that. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you think you're funny? Yeah. You'd be used to, but you stopped. So you're not funny no more. And so I, I tended it again, and I don't, I don't plan on stopping, man. I, 
I remember every New York comic telling me when I was doing it, never stop writing. And it sounds silly now, but they were 100% right. I should have oh, never yeah. stopped writing. Never stopped writing. And yeah, dude, I'm glad that I'm back in it. I can't worry about the past. I'm looking forward to everything we got going down here in the scene. Everything Austin has to offer. Man, last weekend, I think, was the best. I don't know much about the history. I'll, I'll, I'll kind of, you know, disclaimer myself on that one. But I got to think last Friday was the biggest night Austin stand-ups ever had. Big J. Okerson, Mark Norman, Dave Chappelle, Joe Rogan. Yeah, yeah. All doing time. And you had all these other multitude of shows going on too. Like you had these like Harker Heights things or something in Leander or like something going on way down south. Like stuff was going on all over town and it was all stand up. And it just means a lot to be a part of this scene right now, dude. And you can't, yeah, it's everywhere. And and it's it's, it's a great thing, I think. I mean, it's, it's funny that, you know, Rob... You know, doing it in LA and you in New York, those are like the the biggest comedy cities in the country and the toughest ones. You know, and and now you're in Austin and you just like, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna build our stuff. Um, but I, like when you when you when you got off that first time, you're like, this is it, or did you feel down? Like, how was the set? Do you remember the jokes? Were they? Did you get laughs the first time at the talent show? No, no, you were young at the talent show. Oh, oh yeah, yeah like, never mind. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like in college or fourth yeah, grade? Yeah, in college, in college. In college, yeah. Um, the, I, I did okay. Um, I did not win the competition, which was pretty beat. Um, but I, I did well enough. I did jokes that I liked. I did jokes that I had made um, because I, I learned about it like a month before. So I wrote jokes in like a month and did them in a month. Um, and, yeah, it just – that kind of started it for me because I realized like, oh shit, like I can get up on stage and make people laugh. That's pretty great. It's the best. So it let's just keep best. that rolling. And yeah, dude, what were the oh. jokes? Um, I had, you always remember like your worst jokes from a set. Cause you're like, <laughs> I thought that was, I had a joke about the guy who ran the marathon by Dippities. And then like, he comes back and he finds out that like, like soccer moms do this is like a like a just to say they could do it. like oh you like ran the distance that like like they killed you and like yeah they do it and then like they usually have like orange peels or whatever at the end and like like hang out with their kids like oh but I died trying to like deliver the message and like yeah <laughs> it was just like this yeah, yeah it was just like awkward silence and no one's yeah. like oh, it was really, that's not really a structured uh, joke. <laughs> But what what shows did you guys grow up watching to where you're like, oh, this is this is something? I mean, you said Mitch Hedberg, the Comedy Central percent; those were dope. I mean, some the best you know came through that. I remember watching them. Uh, but where is it like? Uh, maybe saw a comic that you're like, hey, you know what? This guy went from being a comedian to now being you know superstar. Or you know, I'm thinking like sitcom people, like the Seinfelds or uh, like Ray Romano. You're you're saying like, what what was it for you guys? For me, it, I, I've always been a nerd for comedy, man. I, I was raised by two people in the 90s who were telling me, hey, man, sorry, but all the cool shit already happened. You missed it. There will be no more cool shit. So your job as an American young child is to learn all the old cool shit from the 60s, 70s, and 80s that we know if you're going to hang out with us. These are my parents. And I'm like, <laughs> okay. uh, but I want to watch Power Rangers and they're like great we're going to watch Lethal Weapon and we need you to watch uh, fucking Eddie Murphy stand up and all this stuff so you get our jokes 
So when I was a little kid, there was like no censorship. I watched Carlin. You watched Raw. I watched when you were Raw. Six Dude, years old. <laughs> my fav my favorite stand up special when I was like nine years old was Delirious, hands down. Eddie Murphy's Delirious was like my favorite one. When I, I think Raw's better. You know, I I'll hear that argument a hundred percent. It's I, I'm not sure Delirious is better. I actually just think I found it first, and so I've got some a little sure, bit more I, sentiment yeah. with it. But I, Raw is a, is aptly named. Like it yeah. hits way harder. Delirious uh, is already special. a superstar, and I feel right. like, I, I feel like he's uh, uh like okay, you, you thought the outfit in Raw was ridiculous, and Delirious he shows up with the gloves and all that, and you're like, and the okay, room's okay, bigger we get it. too. Yes, right. Yes. It feels yes. like a Kevin Hart thing of like you did a small theater, and now you're playing MSG, and we're you know it's like yeah. But the jokes in Delirious, the cookout, the ice cream, the all the family shit was like, that was regular lingo in my house. That's how we talked to each other, like through Eddie Murphy jokes, through Robin Williams jokes, through, you know, stand up was a language in our family. We watched so much of it. And, you know, it's like someone would, uh, we'd be, we'd be out, you know, making a fire at Christmas out on the, uh, our family at a farm. And then my dad would come over and spray a bunch of lighter fluid on it and it would go higher. And he'd go, now that's a fire. That's a fire. Like we started doing the Eddie Murphy bit. It, it yeah, was yeah. always, it was always that. And then as soon as I got into the stuff my family liked, I departed into the shit I started liking myself in the nineties as a kid, huge Chris Rock fan. Holy shit. Uh, Chris Rock was maybe one of the biggest when I was younger. And you know what? Contrary to both of these, like, uh very uh raw uh pun intended yeah uh, black, black comics, comics. White comics. <laughs> i yeah i was just gonna say you know who i was a huge fan of when i was a kid at the same exact time was uh, -huh. uh bill engvall when i was a really do when i was a little kid i was obsessed with i thought bill engvall was one of the funniest dudes in wait before, like my dad. before the call the blue collar yeah. guys way before, before blue collar oh yeah. i didn't know about him Here, until uh, blue collar stuff he had a, his whole bit was, and he clearly got this from Foxworthy. So Foxworthy, you know, got famous on a, you might be a redneck and it, he would do a yeah, list yeah, yeah. bit, right? And it, uh, Engvall's version was, here's your sign. Here's your sign, yeah. Yeah. And so his first record was, here's your sign. And a friend of mine gave me a burned copy of it. And that was like, you know, how, remember we would trade stand up on discs. I, I would get a little nostalgic about that. It was like getting <laughs> a porno or something. You're like, oh shit, I got to go listen to this. Um, and I got, I got into that. And then after that, it was just a, uh, a cavalcade of like, I got obsessed with all the Gen X comics, like Patton Oswalt, David Cross, Bamford, uh, you know, all those guys. Uh, and even the weird ones like Eugene Merman and, and Kristen Schaal. And like, I, 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 I wanted, yeah, I wanted to find people who were doing weird shit. And then I got like retro into weird comedy, like emo phillips and uh fucking uh the amazing jonathan the magician is one yeah, of my yeah, favorite yeah. comedians ever he's he's a genius uh so i was always i was a nerd for it i used to fall asleep at night listening to stand up the way that people listen to like a sound machine or the radio uh -huh. i would listen to the same records over and it was a weird i was a you know i might still be autistic but the the thing is there was something about the words and the obsession I had with language. I, yes, man, thank you. That thank, was my thank, shit. Thanks for saying that. Thanks for saying that because I've always, I mean, I, I grew up in France and when I was when I was a kid, I mean, this comedy in France too. 
We're not going to get into copy comic. That's a whole other show. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the French comics stealing American comics jokes. No, I don't know about American that. American money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a huge controversy in France. Um, anyway, uh, growing up, there were I, I used to watch you know French comedy, uh, and I would go to at recess. I would actually do the bits. Um, and there was uh, and it, it was always a. I had like my 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 crew of friends, and we would like you say, which every, everything we're saying is a quote from right. a stand up or sketch comedy show or anything like that. And I remember, and I used to wake up at night, like late nights, to watch the Tonight Show with Jay Leno. Hell yeah! And I, my English was not good, by the way. It was it was okay, but I was like just daddy, like man, there's the first of all, I didn't. As far as I care, the stars were coming up. I'm like, yeah, I know these guys. They're all actors. We'll all get the French version of them and all that. And then there's this guy that, walk, that, that, that does comedy. And I'm like, man, you can do so much with a mic. And the language idea, the, the, the language thing, because it's really a puzzle when you think about it. Yes. You know, and I'm a huge nerd. I'm a, I'm, a, you know, I'm a computer science major and all that. And I mean, I was. And, but the, the idea that, okay, if I take these words and I string them like this, right? I go and stand in front of people. They don't work. All right, I'm going to go back home and then just rearrange them, like change the verb. Maybe I add yes. some alliterations to it. Maybe if I take this sentence and I move it to the bottom instead of the top, and maybe when I say this, I should do this gesture at the same time or make a face or whatever. So in other words, we're all scientists and we're all trying to figure out what is the right formula that I can use with this set of, words and physical yeah move movements that will make these motherfuckers laugh the first lesson in that and you you got to agree with me as someone who used to like replicate bits for people because that was my entire personality as a child yeah i you learn that lesson the first time that you say the bit just like the guy said the bit in front of your friends and they don't laugh and you're like what the fuck (laughs) just happened i did it I did the intonation. I did the face. I did the hands. I did the whole thing. And they didn't laugh. And you're like, then your brain just goes into this, like, well, then what is it? Like, if you're a nerd, like I'm the same way, your, your, your math brain goes, no, 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 no. This no, equation no. equals yeah. laughter. And exactly. it didn't. What? And then, so you get obsessed with why, what was it? What was the difference? And then you find out, oh, I, I, I said the emphasis on the instead of of, and that makes it not funny. Holy shit. Like yeah, that's brilliant. I I love I love that. So, uh, Pat, were you ever able to actually be part of family and and make made them laugh with your comedy <laughs> at some point? I mean, once you started and you got comfortable, once like that guy had basically assaulted you, and you went back like, hey, you know what? Yes, I can do this. Make I make ever part of my family. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You know what to I this mean? Day, Pat. Yeah. Uh, can you relate to the jokes they have at dinner? Yeah, I will say that my parents were never really like like interested in modern stand up. I think that like my dad definitely kind of had Rob's deal where his parents were like, "No, this is funny." So like mm-hmm. my dad knew a lot of WC Fields. My dad knew a lot of like Jack Benny. And my mm. dad knew oh, a lot wow. of like old stuff. And so like my dad thought that stuff was funny. 
and it aged perfectly. That stuff is still mm-hmm. funny yet. Like I found myself being raised at least my dad's side. Like, like he cared about comedy that was before him mm-hmm. and that didn't really, that wasn't something I, I really could relate to. Um, my mom is naturally funny. Uh, my mom just had like a funny way about her. Like she just would speak her honesty and that made her funny. And I'd say then that the influence that I got, like with my parents where we could like meet in the middle ground of anything. Um, I didn't get Everyone Loves Raymond. They'd always watch Everyone Loves Raymond. But Saturday Night Live, I had a oh, trivial really? pursuit. I had a trivial pursuit game of Saturday Night Live. And I knew every goddamn thing about that show before like 2002. Like I could just rattle off, boy. And so like my mom and I were able to connect on like Gilda Radner. Yeah. And like before that, that oh, we never had nice. any like comedic connection. And I was like, man, that's so funny when she just like, when uh, what's his face, uh, Andy Kaufman just like gives up on the bit. And she's just like having a laugh to herself. Like, this is not happening. Like, like we were able to connect on that. And, but that, that would, that would be the language I'd say back that I was able to finally speak with my parents with Saturday night live. Cause like, it wasn't like what's there to get. It was right in front of your face. And That's so that dope. would kind of served as like the, the, uh, Rosetta stone between myself and my parents thought was funny. Uh, and the one show I used to watch all the time, uh, always on, on Comedy Central was Tough Crowd. Yes. Tough, tough so crowd. W- w- when I discovered Tough Crowd, I was like, this is it. Because yeah. all those, all the guys on there are, first of all, fucking killers. Every single one. And between Colin Quinn, especially in New York comics, I mean, once in a while they would have some LA guys. But when you have people like Patrice O'Neill hmm. on there, and and David Tell and Greg Giraldo and um, Rogan. Kevin Hart, yeah, Rogan was there. Uh, uh, Louis Black, and it's like all these guys are funny ass people. And the and and I loved and w- one thing that really drew me as well. And I'm like, yo, the way they talk to each other, that's how I talk with my boys, like yeah. the people that I grew up with. Like the, this is this is what we do. We shit on that each other. That show was special time. in that way. I don't think there's been almost any other TV no. shows that that no. did what that show did. I don't know, Pat, if you ever caught it, but um, go online, a, go online, and it's and worth a in, look. Uh, it's basic. Think of it like the. Um, not the it's daily, kind but. of like I think the the closest thing that's on right now. Uh, well, it's not on right now because of COVID. But uh, the closest thing right now, and it's not the same. But think Bush era David Spade's Lights Out on Comedy Central, where they kind of roast the week with a few comics, and he leads it. Yeah. Except it was led by Colin Quinn during the Bush era, and it was. Fucking like hard, back to back. They, yeah, they they not rehearse or anything. They, had they roasted sometimes. shit, and you'd watch stuff and be like, "Wow, this is cable television!" Like, yeah, it was racy for for Comedy Central in like oh four, right? 06, yeah, 04, something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. great and, show. And it's some of the best, you know, came out of it. Colin and, Quinn, great underappreciated comic. Yes, God, definitely, definitely. And, and the thing is, it was all like current events, so they talk about the news. Like there's a there's something came out Bush said something and then okay what do you guys think and then just start going at it and sometimes they'll go at at e- I mean all the time they'll go at each other like I remember the the one that uh, stuck with me was the one where that fan was on with Patrice O'Neill remember that fan he won the last comic standing yeah I know that fan 
you know, personally, you know, that fan yeah. personally. <laughs> okay. uh, so this is going to sound crazy to you back, but that fan would come to the fourth wall in North Hollywood at 5 p.m. and film his open mic set every single day and wow. pay five dollars. That even that's the how field. I met Matt. I wonder Matt how he's fan, doing. Beth. You know, wanna... he does okay. Unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately, his flyers are some of the most hilariously bad comedy flyers. I, I I just joined a Facebook group. If you could find this, I'll invite you called Bad Comedy Flyers. And people just post like the most horrendous stand-up show posters. It's so much fun. And Dats shows make it on bad comedy flyers uh, a lot. So th- yeah. this, this guy, he won one of those like reality contest shows and he comes yeah. on Tough Crowd. And Patrice O'Neill, who's my not my my favorite comic, period. Maybe one of the greatest, yeah. Um, and he just roasts the guy about, dude, can you can you do a joke without using your Vietnamese accent? It was Vietnamese, right? Yeah. Yeah, not doing the vet, the Vietnamese accent because that was his punchline to every joke. Yeah, he would say like, "Here's the premise," and then nah, 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 nah. that would that would be the the punchline, and people yeah. loved it and he won the contest. And Patrice and called him May. out. Yes, and they called Patrice called him out right there on the show, going, "Look, man, can you do a joke without using that accent? Because that's all you do. That's the whole stick. It's a fucking stick." And <laughs> so that's how ruthless that show was. If you got on there. You you had to be ready to to like to get roasted and to roast others because that's how that's how how did how did Dat Fan do on his second appearance on Tough Crowd? I don't remember. I don't know if he even came came back. I don't think he did. <laughs> I don't think he came back. Fuck! I wouldn't come back after that. It's Patrice O'Neill we're talking about. The man, like right. comics, comic. I mean, just ruthless in your face. Yeah. Like fuck you. Do a, do an Indian uh, accent instead to be funnier. <laughs> Oh, speaking of um, very underappreciated uh, stand-ups that were on Weekend Update, Pat, talk about Norm MacDonald. He's one of my favorites Norm. of all time. I know he's like one of your heroes, right? He's one of my heroes. He's one of my influences. As I got older, I realized how funny he was. It's one of those things you don't get when you're a kid, but as you get older, you're like, good Lord. Like He plays stand-up comedy. I, I had uh, Will Fordyce, who's a stand-up. He's an open micer around town. He said it perfectly. He plays it like the orchestra. You don't realize it's happening until it's over. It was like that was beautiful, and the way he would do the way he would do weekend update. I've heard Letterman say this like during the time, like the early '90s when when Norm was on, where it was the best part of the show because he just always built jokes in like this way that was going to outlive him. Like you listen to those some of the jokes that maybe. Kevin Nealon or Colin Quinn does on Weekend Update. And like, if you watch them back, it's like, yeah. yeah. But for whatever reason, the way that Norm would make jokes and the way that he would write jokes, it just outlives him. And that energy he's able to create that's like uncomfortable, but it's also like just accept it. It's a joke and let's swim in it. Man, Norm McDonald is really one of my heroes. And I think that there's something to be said for someone who gets funnier over time. Who doesn't just rest on their laurels? And Norman Donald is not. I mean, he's everybody's famous, yeah. But he's not. He never had like a Happy Gilmore, uh, uh, Billy Madison like like frame of time in his life. Dirty work, dirty work, dirty work. Fair with with Artie Lang. (laughs) That's right. Yeah, but man, I I can't say enough things about Norman Donald in terms of like you 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 copy someone 
your first couple of years in comedy and I, I copied him hard body because it just, it was a formula that worked and let's just do that and figure out the rest later. See that that's interesting because I, I've heard, I've heard this, this concept a lot. Like, you know, if you, to be a quote unquote successful comic, it's about a 10 year grind. I know, but I, I've seen people do it in shorter. I've seen people do it in longer, but on average. Yeah. It's not know, a terrible about, number. Yeah, that's that's about right. Because the the first five years, you're trying to figure out like what your what your thing is and what who you is are. Of, huh? I said who you are. Yes, it is the most revealing thing, man. I I mean it it just if you let it, if you don't, it closes you up and makes you more hard. But I think I think if you do it right, you know, uh, you have an opportunity to learn a lot about yourself because the room will tell you who you are. That is that is absolutely true, absolutely true, and and you do find yourself because if, especially if you're a comedy nerd and you're like you have so many quotes in your head, and you think of a joke and you go, oh man, this is that's how like Chappelle will tell this, and then you you catch yourself thinking like that because you've heard so much of it, and you do it without without thinking, or you do start doing physical stuff where you're like, oh, I'm gonna do one liners like Stephen Wright type shit, and then. And or I'm going to do storytelling, or I'm going to be set up punchline kind of comic. Like, what kind of comic do you want to be? And if it if it's not you, you can feel that you really can. You really sometimes really can. you can't, and people have to tell you. I was listening to, uh, I think it was Mark Normand actually on on maybe it was on Rogan. It doesn't matter. I was listening to him talk about how in the beginning he was doing Seinfeld and kind of knew it. But he, but he wasn't really aware. And someone straight up told him, he's like, you got to knock that shit off. Like, you got to stop doing that. Like, mm -hmm. you're a good joke writer, but you're doing Seinfeld. You can't be Seinfeld. Like, as much of a fan as you are. And you're, and you're bringing a lot with that. When you're doing another comic, if you're doing it right, there is obviously, like you said, something valuable that you're bringing in because you see that it, it works. And then if I think if you if you play enough, you can morph that into who you really are. It doesn't just like cut it off and you start fresh or something. And now I'm going to be this kind of guy because that's a recipe for driving yourself crazy when you're just like, I don't know. Now I'll do magic or props or something. What can I do to be good? It's like well, <laughs> I want to make these people laugh. Yeah. And my dad, uh, my dad jokes are not working out. Right. I mean, that to me was um, when I started seeing people. Because I, I understand that, you know, when, when once you're exposed to a lot of a lot of comedy, um, and you've kind of, I've kind of became a snob of it, honestly. Mm, so where yeah. some there's Possible. some specials that I that I used to watch that I just used to laugh out loud, and I'm like, okay, now the bar is here. Right, sure. I, I would watch bigger, bigger and blacker, or Bring the Pain, or an Elephant in the Room, and I'm like, this is the bar, or like some earthquake shit. I'm like, this is where it's at. Anything under that, I'm not gonna have this like, uh, like visceral reaction. Like, oh my god, this is hilarious! Ha 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 ha! But, and I I started kind of looking around and seeing, okay, oh well, there's different ways to appreciate it. You know, as a, as as when you're on stage and and you see people out in the audience and all that they they have they don't have that ha ha laugh. In a way, you kind of feel like, damn, that didn't quite work. That doesn't mean they don't think you're funny. You, mm -hmm. you, ever, you ever feel that way? Because I, I, I can go see, um, I saw Ron White's 
uh, last month at the at Vulcan. Right. They had some ha funny moments, but it's also funny moments. You just you know just a smile. I'm like, oh, that was actually a good joke. Now I I, I think of it like, oh, that's great writing. Oh, I like how he set that up. Oh, the punchline came out the right. Oh, I like how he put these two ideas together. Oh, I see how there's a callback. That's yeah. how I look at it now. I don't think of it like, oh my god, this this is this is hilarious. You appreciate the craft of what he's doing. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But at the end of the day, you are looking for the laugh. Yeah, and you can't go backwards. I think is one of the things. You know, I work in television, and people often like I work in reality TV, and people are like you know, they get all hyped up about reality. And they, they ask, like, one of my jokes is, you know, people always ask me, like, is it real? Is it reality TV really real? It's like, no, it's TV. Like, that is the thing it is first. It's we use the <laughs> it's word reality word, that's what it to is. mislead you into thinking. And it's only, the, the word that we use in the business is unscripted. We, you either work in scripted or unscripted TV. We don't really call it reality as much uh-huh. because that's the distinction. And people often ask me, they're like, well, don't you want to work on scripted stuff? Like, don't you want to go work on like Avengers or like Game of Thrones or like work on something? Like, don't you want to work on feature films and shit? Or or at least like a, a TV show that's like a Breaking Bad or something cool? And I'm like, I don't want that shit ruined for me. Like, I like being a fan of that stuff and not seeing through the illusion of it. I don't want to learn how to be a magician because I actually kind of like watching magic shows. I don't want to learn how it all works. And you're right with comedy. Once you learn how it all works, your brain analyzes it differently. It doesn't mean that I don't laugh. I don't have a good time at comedy shows. I just watched Mark Norman do pretty close to the same set four times in two days. Right. And I had a great fucking time. How much did I laugh out loud? I don't know. It's hard to say. I was also at work. So I was focused on that. But I was far more like, ooh, yeah, clever. Oh, I like yeah, what he did. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, it's like listen, it's like when you play fucking instruments and you hear somebody play the guitar, you're not just impressed by the four chords like you used to be when you were a kid, but when they do something really cool, you're like, "Hi, hell yeah, dude. I see what you pulled off there. That shit's tricky." Yep. I've I've actually uh, when I saw um yeah, it was at the, the Vulcan show, Ron White and then Joe Rogan. Hinchcliffe, right? Yeah, Tony Tony headline, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tony headline. And right after, and the, actually, while I'm watching him, I'm thinking the jokes that have nothing to do with what he's saying. Nothing to do, but just the, I've, I've always gotten a kick out of seeing other people funny, being funny, because it inspires me to, to write more and to kind of elaborate on, oh, oh, yeah, I just thought of, now I had this joke in my head, and I don't, now if I twist it this way, you know, maybe, I don't know, I haven't fucking tried it <laughs> yet, but I'm constantly like rethinking and by seeing other people, you know, uh, perform, it inspires me to actually to write more. Uh, how, how do you write, Pat? Like, what's what's your thing? Well, I would say back, isn't that the point? Like, like when you go out and you're inspired by these people and you want to write exactly. more. Like, like if, if you, you suck, you inspire me to go and <laughs> go and do... I'm <laughs> Either serious. Way, dude. Either way, dude. Either way. And it, so when you, when you made the point then back about like, um, you keep raising the bar and it's like, no, the bar is not raised. So I don't want to, I don't want to consume it no more. Stand up is this like consumed for laughter, like, like humor and like happiness. Like that's the ultimate. So like, if you see Patrice O'Neill keep scaling up and scaling up and then you see someone go who's not as talented, you're like, ah, oh, I don't, I don't like that. Or like at first you're like, 
you know, that's not as good as this other thing because stand-up is this like mass consumption of like laughter and having a good time. And, but dude, if, if you're inspired by someone and they make you try to write jokes or they make you see humor in a different way, that's the point. And, and when you ask how I write jokes, man, uh, poorly, <laughs> I think that I write a lot I mean, of jokes. I write a lot of jokes and the percentage of them that are good, I guess over time is, is slowly going upwards um, I'm, I'm trying to listen right now to, to folks who have done it before and kind of take in the principles first. Um, and I'm getting better with it. I think that like, if you just write the exact same way all the time, it's, I mean, you talk about a grind, holy Lord, that's going to be hard. But if you're exposing yourself to new things and shit, man, yeah. If you see a bad comic go up, who the fuck knows? You might walk away going like, man, the way he built that joke was stupid. What he should have done was this all of a sudden you just wrote a joke so so take that and and take the positive from it and if you watch someone brilliant go up study it don't copy it verbatim but learn from it and apply it to your own deal i have to say that uh i've uh read a book recently i'm treating it honestly like as if it's like a college course or some shit Mm -hmm. but it's uh gene perret gene perret i don't know what these french guys sorry back uh, he wrote uh, it's a uh, uh, <laughs> that's how first sounds like it's uh, a <laughs> <laughs> you gotta do this with your mouth while you do it Jean Perret like no Jean Perret last letter tells you how to end it um, <laughs> and he has a comedy writing step by step he was a, he was a writer in the 60s and 70s and and he just had two paradigm shifting things um, that I've applied to my writing game and just, I, I write it on the top of every piece of paper before I start any writing session. It's see, recognize, accept. And if, if you skip one of those steps and you think that you could just get the audience to the recognize part of it, mm-hmm. they're going to be totally lost. You have to kind of take their hands sometimes and slowly walk them in the ocean. And that's what people, people don't dig if they do good for okay. them. Yeah, yeah, dude. Like, okay, yeah, you, you don't back, know. I promise you. Just, just, just bear with me here. You're going to drown first. You don't know first. where anyone's at in their day. Like, like, open mic is great. Open mic is this great tool. But, like, if you get good at open mic, that's not good. Because the, the point of it is to perform in front of regular people. And part yeah, of – not comics, yeah. Not comics. And performing in front of regular people is someone in the audience just had one of the best days they've had in, in months. And someone in the audience just had one of the worst days they've had in months. So mm-hmm. your job is to take the people who are like almost going to pop their ears from the pressure in the ocean and the people who are flying high, you have to take them both to the same level and the same energy and take them that way. And so that's the see, recognize, accept deal. The other one is like, I love wordplay. I think wordplay is witty. I think wordplay is valuable. I like think puns? It's fun. Puns, dude. Shit. Yeah. You know what uh, you were saying I... about your dad jokes? You know what, back? If they didn't work, they'd be called bachelor jokes. They <laughs> They're funny. And like you, my have name is a the... pun. I live a pun, so I'm like, I'm over it. <laughs> oh no, I get you, man. Everyone here's name means a word in English that's upsetting. No but one it, wants it, to it, get padded. Yeah, yeah look, they're all I, inappropriate. Yeah, I get the hey, I'm back, and I go hey, I'm front, or hey, I'm back. Oh, where'd you go? Hey, I'm back. Uh, I, I just <laughs> they come in and say hey, I'm back. No, that's you. Ha 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 ha. I'm like, come on, man. I, 
on the snob thing, before before Pat finishes up that, I wanted to say you mentioned earlier kind of a snob about comedy specials. I'm not a snob about comedy specials at all. And I, I, I really, I'll watch anything. I'm very forgiving, but I'll tell you when I get snobby and I get snarky and it's not fair and I know it. I don't like when like regular non-comics try to be funny. <laughs> it really bumps me out. Like I used to work at an elementary school. I used to be an elementary school teacher. And uh-huh. I work with all these like ladies in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. And they, they all like will make, make little jokes to each other. This is in North Carolina. And they'd be like, oh, you know, just like I saw this on a meme or whatever. And it's just like, <laughs> um, I'm like, I get upset. Like another thing that I am big about is like when I hear someone make an easy joke about someone's name, I'm uh-huh. like, it's his name. You think he hasn't spent uh, 30 my- years... He's heard every good joke, and this isn't even one of those. My Ooh. first joke was about my name because I had to explain it. When I, I did FPIA, my my first my the first three minutes is actually the whole thing is about my name. Actually, my first name and my last name. But anyway, I don't want to cut uh, Pat's story. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, we did. <laughs> I, think, ah. <laughs> I don't want to cut Pat's story, but let me tell you about this. Let's not drop the energy, but... No, no, no. So, okay. See, you recognize. What was the last one? Except, which except. I've, except? I've, I've done that. We're, we've moved on. No, you haven't. I I fucking shit. All right, whatever. That. All right. There was that thing. And the other thing was visual jokes work better because the joke is not the collection of words. The joke is the image produced in the audience's mind as a result of those words. Mm. Interesting. Interesting. Because there is a style of you just you just stand there and you just deliver. It's go 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 go. And I have great respect for that, but the truth is that that's not like you're. You, there's a mic. There's no music. It's just you. Mm-hmm. If you could produce an image, all of a sudden now the audience is with you. And if you can, if you could walk them to where they accept that we're at that place, if we're producing that image, if you let them see why we're there, recognize why you're taking them there. And then they accept the image that you produce for them. That is when all the, that's when the punchline works. And that's when all the tags just flow is because now people, they, they see the thing they recognize and they accept where they're at. And I have a joke about punching a drink out of a lady's hand. And like, that's a very visual thing. Like if I take my hand and make a fist, I punch the drink out of my hand. And all of a sudden now everyone is like there. And now I could do whatever I want with that energy because everyone digs on what I just painted for them mm-hmm. in that circumstance. So when you ask if I write jokes um, or how I write jokes, it's the the best ones I write and the ones that work at an audience are ones that are I'm describing something. What about you, Rob? Uh, how, how do you write specifically? Your shit? Oh, how, how do you write your shit? shit? Uh, it, it's a slog and it's uncomfortable. I. I have always, because I think of what we were talking about earlier of like, I'm always nervous I'm doing another comic because of all the shit that's in my head. I always lean on stories, which is exhausting for people. It's personal, yeah. It's personal, but it's exhausting to see me at a mic trying to work out a story because it's not constructed in a way that's meant to be entertaining for you yet. I know there's something there and I'm trying to see if I can pepper jokes in as I tell you the story and if those work, then I keep them. So 
I'm a work it out on stage dude, almost exclusively. I don't write things down. And that is one of the other reasons why uh, uh, Pat is a better comic than me, because he takes the time to diligently uh, transcribe his thoughts and make them better. Um, I'm a listen back dude. I, I record and listen back yeah. a lot. Uh, that's big to me. I... I don't know. It's an energy thing in the room for me. I, I do well on stage. I, I don't mean for the audience. I feel comfortable on stage no matter how I'm doing. Like whether I'm eating shit or whether I'm doing well, I feel good because I feel at home on stage. Mm-hmm. And even if I've got 10 minutes left and they hate me, I'm like strap in fuckers. Like I'm not leaving. Like this is, I'm fine with this feeling. It, it, I don't know what it is, but it's like, I don't, I don't feel the need to like, Oh no, what's the next joke in my, I'm like, I'll, if I forget what I'm doing up here, I'll that just That is talk. not most people. Most people don't I, want to be up there. Oh my God, you're coming. Oh, you're so brave. I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's weird. It's a weird thing. And and I've gotten, Public I speaking. did, I once did a mic. I used to run a, a nightly mic at the fourth wall in LA. I once got up at seven o'clock, told a story for five minutes to open the fucking set. Very few laughs. Didn't do very well. I got up the second hour, opened again with a different story that did even worse. And I was like, oh, my God. Then this guy, Leon Walker, who I love, who's super funny. We will find a way to have him down to the Romo room. He's great. Uh, Yoga Leroy. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he is on Instagram, I believe. Uh, Yoga Leroy gets up and he goes, y'all just sat here. Everyone's kind of like. What? He goes up right after me. He goes, motherfucking Rob got up here and told a story with no jokes twice. And y'all motherfuckers just let it happen. Y'all let him get up and do it again and sit at the back of the room like he didn't just do that shit. And he just roasted me for a whole like three (laughs) minutes. I'm like, how's this guy got the host spot here? And he's getting up telling stories like it's fucking... He's on a podcast. It's like, bitch, we're trying to tell jokes in this room. <laughs> it, and he was right. He was totally, totally right. But then I got up, you know, I had to then take the mic from him and continue hosting the mic. And I got up and I was like, I don't think they're going to hi- fire me, man. So I think it's Sunday night story time with Rob until I figure out where the jokes are in this bitch. And you can come back and <laughs> work your shit, at eight o'clock and try your shit. You know? <laughs> but like, I, that, that for me is, is just the process. I know it's like the, it's fun to, ha- to talk to about it with Pat because we're mirror opposites. I, I just, I really respect the, you know, it's an old t- technology, but in my head, I think of them as typewriter comics. You know, I imagine Pat at home with like an actual typewriter, like, ha like. Bro. Are you writing on a paper or on your, on a phone, Pat? No, I do pen and paper. If I'm writing something. Oh, that, pen and like, paper. Wow. I, I want to get better at, I'll do there pen you go. and paper. Yeah. And, and, and meanwhile, I'm like, I'm just going to go up there. It's a riskier, <laughs> it's a riskier life. Yeah, Robert, Robert's like, I had to sit in traffic while I was here. I think I'll talk about that. <laughs> just thought about it before I got up here and this mic turned on. That was, it, it, it was really, um, like, I mean, I, I was using Evernote and I was, I was mm. every, every time I think of something, I just start writing in there and I can like copy and paste, which is great. Um, but I think, oh, fuck the point i was trying to make the um, yes what i've realized like when i first started is I, I did 17 open mics and then i entered the funniest person in austin contest like what why not like i, I thought i was that good 
but I know I, I knew I was going. I mean, I was going to get some killer. I, I'm, I knew, but I was like, like New Year resolution type deal. I always wanted to do it. I want to do it. Fuck it. No matter what, no matter how many times I do open mics, I'm going to get on that stage and enter this contest. And one of the things that I realized, and I was recording all my sets, like uh, video recording, and I realized that I was being so verbatim with my jokes that I wouldn't let anything kind of uh, kind of break break the flow. Like breathe. But, yeah, breathe, exactly. So I was like, it's not like I was reciting, but mm-hmm. it was like, I, I knew, okay, I only have, I only have three minutes, I only have four minutes. So this is how much I can say. So when I'm practicing in, in, in my head or when I'm driving or whatever, I don't, I don't, I didn't put those pauses in there. Cause I was just like, I'm gonna tell the jokes. I'm gonna keep doing my, doing my script. It was, that's what it was. It was like, I was just gonna do my script. And I know it's going to be some laughs in there, but I'm not going to let them sit there because I only have three minutes or four minutes. Because usually I end up writing a whole lot. And then as I find out that, oh, this is way too much, too many words, start trimming things. Um, but when I did the FPIA thing, um, I felt more comfortable, like, taking pauses. At first, I was just like, all right, we're going to go. I'm going to tell my jokes. I'm going to get the fuck out. It felt great. Uh, but it, it, it was what that, that's one of the, the biggest lessons that I learned when I, when I first started just to, I like to write, I like to play around with words and I want to try them so bad that I don't even let them sit there when I put, when I say them on stage. So that was, that was dialogue. Do you have a resolution this year? It's almost time for you to start taking stand up seriously again, based on your schedule that you gave us. Yeah, I am. What's your resolution this year? Uh, I'm, I'm a hit. More open mics. I want to try all the shit that I that I that I wrote. Good, you would, bad. You would turn up the stage time and and get all that quarantine material out. Actually, I don't have any quarantine. I have one. I don't mean about. Thing. I don't mean about it. I mean stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, during that time. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah no, please don't do any quarantine no. material. I'm saying that to everyone who's listening. <laughs> just cut it and, now. And Trump you jokes. Get like please. a letter you write to someone you're angry. You just put it in the drawer. You don't really mail it. You know <laughs> what I mean? It was a good exercise. Glad you did it, but let's just not. And and Trump jokes too. I think I'm over those. Yeah, we get to be done with that. We get to have a bunch of jokes about how ah he's old and he's asleep. Like yeah, it's easy, fun. But do, do you do, yeah, but do, uh, you guys don't do like political stuff. I have. Uh, I used to host my own like Bill Maher style comedy talk show on YouTube. So I used to do a a live from North Hollywood. How old are you, man? You live like 20 lives. I know. I'm 32. Oh yeah. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. That's a lot. What what was I doing at 32? Shit. Uh, To me, it's always a thing. I just, I was always want to have a project. I'm a, I've got bad ADD. I'm also like kind of misanthropic. So I don't really enjoy spending time with people, uh, on like, unless we're working truthfully, I I have a weird thing where it's like, and Pat can testify to this. Like how many times Pat have we gone like out recreationally together? And I've known you for like a year. Never I'll be driving right, like we'll drive someplace and like we'll be hanging out in the car and like it'll be like some hangout and then like the conversation will just like die. But then like I'll bring up like work or like something like you want to talk about the future and Rob's like, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> what do you want to talk about? The you don't future? do a vision board, Fuck yeah, let's dude. Do it because <laughs> like yeah, Rob, Rob and I don't have like a great. I can't be like, did you see the Bengals game? Like Rob has no fucking idea. What the hell time is like? No, I didn't. That sounds horrible. Be like, is first of all, okay? I thought they broke up. 
Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking No, that about. was the Go-Go's. Either way. Either I, way. You gotta, you gotta keep a project. I'm just no, the, no, yeah, dude. no. The best conversations I have with Rob are just about work and about about like we could we could fit other things into the conversation. It's not like I can't have a beer with Rob. Of course, mm-hmm. I have a beer with Rob. But the the most robust conversation, the best conversation, is when we're talking about future things, and that's what interests him. The same way that something interests some other guy who wants to go have a beer with me. The thing that interests right. Rob is, as he said, projects and looking forward to the future, and. Yeah, and that's exciting because that's what matters. Are you uh, looking forward to shit? Are are you guys keeping up with the comedy landscape? It's weird to use the word landscape with comedy, but like, who's what do you mean? Like, uh, who are like the 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 top comics right now? You know, who took advantage of uh, like the quarantine time to really put themselves up there? Seeing seeing Schultz's rise this year has been cool. Yeah. Uh, I think that's really interesting. That's, that's the only um, one I can think of. Yeah, I'm, well, I think he capitalized it on a good way. You know who else did a good job uh, putting himself out there this year is Nate Bargatze. He did a really great um, drive-in tour. He was here in Austin. Uh, he played the mm-hmm. stadium. Uh, Gaffigan did the same thing, and oh, I haven't Bert. seen shit from Bert Gaffigan all over the place. But Bargatze is every like he's. I don't know if he just bought ads that I particularly end up seeing. But I was like, that shit's fucking everywhere. Bert Kreischer was on tour the entire time. Yeah, on the he bus also had a really good special, uh, like his little Cabin in the Woods series thing that he filmed yeah. also came out this year, which did really well. He's had a great year. Yeah, um, I, I, I love the I love the Schultz model though. Sure. The idea that look, I'm gonna put out as much content as possible. I mean, this is even before pandemic, and it was like I'm gonna put as much content as possible out there. Put my special yeah. for free on YouTube in like four different parts or something like that or three different parts uh and then put up you know film myself going from one club to the next and then during the pandemic doing his uh monologue things that he took from bill maher yeah and and then now that's what his special is yeah and he's gonna he's gonna kill it he's gonna here's what i'll say back about when you when you ask like are we keeping with the comedy landscape it is very interesting to me when I can't avoid someone. Like you said, Schultz. Yeah. And Norman and Norm, yeah. Margazzi. There there are certain comedians who took advantage of this thing so much that like I personally can't avoid them. I hang out with open mic comedians, I hang out with comedians, I hang out with funny people. Whether I'm paying attention or not, there's certain people who have just absolutely lassoed this opportunity, taken it as their own. And it's to the point where like it doesn't matter if they're on the peripheral or not, I will hear about them. And Chappelle, Chappelle, Chappelle found a way to get even bigger this yep. year. <laughs> yeah, dude. He won the Mark Twain Prize and then was like, "I'm gonna show y'all motherfuckers what else is about yeah. to happen." Um, brilliant, and not to mention it should be shouted out as many times as possible. Provided jobs in his small Ohio town when he put on a shitload of shows, he could mm-hmm. have done those here. He did later do them here, but he first did them in Ohio when you had, you know, middle America, everything shut down, you know, and he he put people to work with, with that. And that's, I think, another thing that we all forget is like, we talk about comedy and stand up a lot from the perspective of comics who want to make it or people who are trying to do stuff. But everything that we do 
is bigger. Like when we did shows this weekend at the Brass Tap, that was cool to have Mark Norman down. And we got really excited about putting up our own comics around him and stuff. And, Mm -hmm. you know, but we also employed the Brass Tap. We also made sure those servers took home money to fucking pay their rent and, and buy Christmas presents. And, you know, it's like, there's an economy around this industry. It's not just about the comics. It's mostly about the comics and it should be. But it's just like the TV shows, you know, Tom Cruise is in all this news for yelling at people on set about breaking COVID rules. And whether you, no matter which side you feel about whether or not he should be yelling at the crew, he's not where wrong. he's coming, well, where he's coming from is a place of, I want y'all motherfuckers to have a job just like me. Like when I was, I was working on a TV show once right after the Roseanne thing happened and they what killed show? that show because she was on Twitter. I, I won't say the show I was working on at the time. It was, a, it, it's not important what show it was on but it was a show uh where there's a really big team uh and it was a really big cast a really big crew it was a massive production and it and it's also a show that's been on the air for like a really fucking long time so it's a it's a franchise it's a not a franchise it's a an institution Mm -hmm. and uh these so i almost went sports pat i've been hanging out with you too much uh so this institution had a meeting on like the first day and it was like a, a two weeks after this Roseanne thing had happened where she goes on Twitter, says some racist shit on fucking Ambien or whatever. And all of a sudden overnight, like 200 people yeah. lose their jobs, mm-hmm. you know, and not just her, you know, people, yeah, people forget else. like, yeah, they brought back the show without her later, but there was a few months where it was like, is this what happens now? Cancel culture is able to shut down entire shows because the head of the show fucks up. Like, that's really scary. And if you work on a production, you're like, what is our executive producer or star going to say on Twitter that's going to get us all fired? And then now we have no job. Like, and production's already precarious. We never know when we're going to be employed. Mm-hmm. So we're sitting in this meeting and the guy comes out who's like really big in the company, really big on the show, doesn't talk a lot directly to the staff, but he comes out for this meeting. And this was a couple years ago. And he goes, here's the deal that serious like and 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 production's usually pretty chill man we're all working in tv in california we're having a good time he comes in he goes here's the deal if any one of you fucks this up for us it will be the end of you working in hollywood i will see to it and it is not about me it's not even about this fucking show it is about all the people who feed their families and pay their rent and are paying for their kids to go to fucking college at this show. And like I said, it's an institution. This is a show that people got to come back to every year. If you made a good relationship, this was a reliable opportunity Mm -hmm. to make money, which in the TV movie business is just not a thing. You get a show that's on for 20 years. That doesn't happen a lot. And they're like, if you, this is, we didn't, it didn't used to be like this. They're like, I didn't used to have to make speeches like this. Cause it couldn't happen. One person fucks up. You fire that person. You keep going. Mm-hmm. Now we're in this world where if one person does the wrong thing, the world freaks out and everybody loses their fucking job. And man, I will go so far as to say this guy yelled at us. It was a long speech. And I'd, I'd never even been on the show before. It was my first time. <laughs> and, and he's like, if anyone, he's swearing. And he's like, you motherfuckers fuck this up for us. I swear. Like it was brutal. And I walked out and I was like, Oh shit! To one of the I guys who worked there before. <laughs> what would? Yeah, right? I want to do that some more. I'll be back tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. Does he do the show every day? I want to catch the matinee with my parents. Um, <laughs> it's, 
it, it was dramatic, but I, I walked out and I, man, I didn't feel verbally abused. I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel as though I'd been attacked. I felt like someone who, and he was there from the beginning, you know, he'd been making this show for 20 years and I'm not going to lie. I, I've been doing the Romo room for a year and I'm already like, if one of you fucking cocksuckers <laughs> does some me too shit, and gets the Romo room branded with some like, you went and chased some girl down or did some weird shit or like, man, I swear to God, I'll lose my, like, I, I get it. I get it. Cause you're like, <laughs> it you makes care sense. about the thing that you built. You care about the opportunities it creates for people. And, and it's, it's not just about money or pride or ego. It is about the survival of the people involved. And we do, we live in a world now where this, this cancel culture woke shit will just and you're done and it's over for you if you catch the wind the wrong fucking way. And I'm not even commenting on whether people deserve one thing or the other. I, I'm mm -hmm. just saying like, it's never been like this before. And I understand people being really careful, whether it's, you know, sexual harassment culture or COVID or whatever it is that could get your whole world shut down, like protect that shit. Yeah. Take we'll care of it. Yeah, but we live in a world now where your your opinion, you can't talk to everybody and nobody at the same time and you think your opinion matters. And so you open up the you're opening up the floodgates where I mean seriously, I think there there are two modes of discourse online. It's either you're talking shit or you're talking shit trying to be funny. <laughs> That's it. There's no and then the, well maybe the rest is things nobody cares about but it's bad jokes by non-comics yes so you you everybody's trying to be funny online in the comments on right, Twitter, right, right, Facebook, right. and it comes across mean and you're going to be held accountable for what you put up no matter what the intent what i mean i, I i'll right. always i'll always defend someone's right to like try to be funny right but you have to deal with the consequences of it if it bombs it bombs If it kills, it kills. If you get sent to jail, you get sent to jail. If you get fired, you get fired. But by all means, keep trying. I will yeah, you sign up for that. There's no consequences until there are. Exactly, exactly. But when when you're 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 living in the in the sea of comments and retweets, and I had somebody so check this out. Somebody was just, uh, you know, uh, Brian Redband moved to Austin. Sure. Um, and so I, I posted a picture of us like from 2015 and someone just went at me and said, no fucking mass, you fucking losers. <laughs> and, and I honestly, I honestly sat there. For well, like, and you're racist. Huh? And you're racist. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, probably. But I'm like, I, I sat there for, for 30 seconds and I thought, Do I dignify this asshole? Maybe he was trying to be funny. He said, oh, you guys don't know where But I'm like, or he was just trying to take a thing. I don't know the guy. I don't know. I don't, I don't know how he follows me. Maybe like uh, Red Band retweeted it. So he saw it that way. I don't fucking know. I don't care. But I sat there for 30 seconds. And I'm like, do I respond or not? But this guy who was just trying to be funny, who was just trying to fuck with me. And I did. I just said, it was 2015. Go fuck yourself. But I felt I felt kind of bad. I'm like, I just wasted time. I felt like yeah. I really wasted time, like the, that true. minute and a half, because I was going, I was, I was literally thinking, oh, I can come back at him. 
you know, something even wittier. I, I'm going to go to his profile and I'm like, whoa, hold on. Now I'm, I'm getting into scary territory. That's not me. Right. Yeah. But a simple go fuck yourself, I, I thought was just, just, to, just to close it out. And it wasn't going to fuck up my day, but I, 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 I felt compelled to say something. And that's what every, that's how everybody feels these days. Like I'm compelled to post this. I'm compelled to, I had my opinion matters. People don't give a shit. Yeah, it's crazy that our loudest voices these days are text-based. That's a terrible fucking yeah. system. Like, <laughs> like to communicate, we've created this world where everybody's loudest voice, their most capable voice, their most listened-to voice is solely text-based. And, 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 and that's ludicrous because anyone, like we've been talking about this whole time and knows anything about language, knows you can say shit exactly the same way somebody else said it. But that one of or the or the little word switch or whatever, it yeah. changes the whole fucking thing. And so not only are we judging everybody on these text platforms for the way they wrote their shit, because we're reading it the way we read it. And we have no concept of how they wrote it. It's what's wild. The, what's the new platform? Like, Is it Clubhouse where people actually talk? Like it's all audio? That a thing? Yeah. Have you heard of that? No, I haven't. That's interesting. So it's, it's, it's a new uh, social network. And it's invite only. Like you have to be invited to get in. Oh, that's not the alt right one, right? No, no, no. That's not parlay. We call it parlay, but it's parlay, which is parlay. I thought it was called Mindspace. Was that not? I I thought it was parlay. Like it, it, it it launched, and then all the right wing people just took over. Got Uh, it. But anyway, on, on Clubhouse, it's actual people in a room and just talking. And there was one. I think it was after. Uh, the new Kevin Hart special, the Zero sure. Fox Have you yeah. guys watched that? Yeah, I liked it. You liked it, Pat? I thought it was classic Hart. I knew that. Like, yeah. it was just, uh, I, 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 I didn't same. like it at all. Like, I fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> I fell asleep, and 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 I and I, I, I love Ke- I love I love early Kevin Hart. Like, I'm a small man, big. Uh, grown little man. Grown little man. Like that one uh, to me is his best. Everything after that is just superstar. And I'm like, I get it. You know, his audience has changed over the years. Um, and what is a very different situation though? Like I gave him a little credit for like, I don't know, man, I feel like you just turned something out to house. Like I gave him that amount of credit for it. Okay. I give him credit for that, but I'm, I'm talking yeah. about in terms of the material, but anyway, it's it, it, his own. And he went and he got shit for making jokes about his daughter. Like my right. daughter's a whore or something like that. And he went on there. That was my favorite bit. Yeah, but he went and defended it on Clubhouse and going, dude, your 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 special is called Zero Fucks Given, and here you are defending your your jokes (laughs) to complete strangers. That's a really good point. Seriously, so so at least one fuck, right? Yeah, but like again, you feel you feel compelled. Like these guys, you know, you can say I don't like it; it's not for me, and just move on with your life. But the fact that you have to go after somebody. Because you personally, you know, didn't appreciate a certain joke. I mean, fucking, have you guys ever experienced that? You have people come after your show and be like, yo, that, I like that, but that one right there, uh-uh, I can't. My, my, my daughter is retarded. I mean, maybe not that, but no. No, never no, had- no. I've never had anyone come up to me after a show and have a problem with the joke. I mean, I relish it, you know, and I've, I've told oh, people before, like, if anyone ever, and this is a promise I make to our comics, we stand with you. Any audience member comes up to our show afterwards and they're like, 
I paid X number of dollars for this ticket and I was expecting a good comedy show and he was filthy and he said this and that about abortion or, or gay people or whatever, whatever the fuck it was. I'd be like, I apologize that your expectations for how a comedy show works didn't play out. That's a drag. But we don't apologize for the material of our comedians, mm-hmm. period. Try again next week. That's kind of how this goes. I, I'm a big fan of the Dave Chappelle line about, like, I'm a stuntman. I get paid for the attempt. Like, whether I make it across the canyon. Exactly. That's the show you're at. It's live theater, baby. You don't know what's going to happen. And you're not always going to like it. Like, suck it up. That's how comedy shows work. And some people just don't know that shit. Patrice O'Neill used to say, a good joke and a bomb come from the same place. Mm. It comes from the same place. And, and you can't, you don't knock the the intent of being funny, knock the joke. The joke sucks. It didn't work. You're offending right. people, blah, blah, blah. But the 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 intent was still trying to be funny. And right. some people do it better than others, and those people are successful. But when, when I've had, I've actually had friends come up to me and, and say, Oh, well, uh, here's a joke. You, you can try it on stage. I'm like, I'm, I'm nobody. <laughs> I'm literally nobody. And you think that that one joke you're going to give me is going to like propel me to whatever. Or like, what are the odds that that joke exactly. is going to work for you? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it goes back to what we're saying about, you know, finding yourself and figuring out what you want to do. But if you keep getting all these outside influences, that's never going to happen. And that takes years to get to. And the, right. the process is fascinating to me. When I hear, I, I geek out when I hear comics, you know, on podcasts talk about the process and what they experience, how, what the grind is like, uh, the, 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 the joke writing, the, the bombing. There's, there's the great documentary I brought up on the show before, uh, the story of the, uh, the comedy store. Sure. Have you guys seen that one? I haven't seen it yet. It's on my list though. Oh, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. It is fucking good. It is fucking good. And you see, oh, we really? love stand up like, docs. Like Jim Carrey used to bomb. Like, yeah, Jim Carrey used to bomb. J- Jay Leno. Yeah, Jay Leno. You thought that Jay Leno was always funny? You thought Have that. Have you read um, Steve Martin's Standing Up? Uh-uh. That is my number one, uh, like, autobio stand up wreck. It's really short. Um, you know, Steve Martin famously did stand up for 10 years and then was like, yeah, no, I'll go with this. Uh, and just flat stopped doing it at the peak of his career. Uh, very similar to Eddie Murphy, you know, did mm-hmm. it for a period, rose to the top, looked around, jumped the fuck off and just stopped doing it forever. Uh, and his journey to getting to that, uh, is a, you'll love it. You'll really, really love it. He used to do magic at Disneyland. That was where he started when he was a teenager. Really? Steve he, Martin? He would, yeah, he would sell uh, magic uh, kits. And so uh-huh. he would have to have a little station where he like did the magic show for the kids and the family to try to then go, hey, and then now you could buy the magic kit. And uh, that showmanship, I mean, you can tell watching him on stage in the 70s. It's like, he's a magician. It's so like, here's the thing. And now it's like, you have no idea. The left turn, you know, in comedy came easy to him because that's what all magic is. Is you you like Pat said you lead them into the ocean, and then the only difference is with magic you all of a sudden then find you're back on the beach before you realize it. You're like oh shit, how, how the fuck did we came out here and now we're yeah. But like with a joke, it's just like weird that we're out here, right? All right, like, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to laugh here. I'm yeah. drowning. You got anything for me? 
And then you give him the light, the 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 life thing, right? Oh right. fuck, what's it called? Uh, the, the, the buoy. Life vest. The buoy. Thank you, life life preserver. Life preserver. There you go. Life preserver. That's how it's called. Sure. Oh, in French, it's much longer than that. But okay, I didn't know that. I think it's true for a lot of things. <laughs> no, but this is dope. This is dope. Uh, all right, I think we're gonna want to close things out. Um, okay. you have any dope shit to share besides we'll get to the Romo room. Do you have any other dope right. shit? Uh, that have... was going to be mine was the oh, okay. Steve Martin book. I definitely just recommend it to anybody who's interested in stand up and likes it. There's the two book, the, the book that Pat mentioned earlier. Uh, and then, uh, Greg, Dan, uh, Greg Dean is, is great too. We talk about the stuff in those two books all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Steve Martin standing up a short, easy read, lots of fun and just like a great history of one of the greats. So I recommend that to anybody. Cool. Pat, what do you get? Hard left turn, but it's a film then, uh, hell or high water. However, what? Hell or high water. Oh, what is it about? It is a film directed by, um, shit, I made it a point to remember the name and I fucking forgot the name. But anyway, it has uh, Chris Pine and Jeff Bridges and, and as well Ben Foster. And it is a movie that doesn't make sense until the very end because it's, it's kind of, you think the bad guys, David McKenzie, God damn, little Jamie over here. Thank you, Carlin. I don't mean that disrespectfully. He was a positive man, <laughs> just said that. David McKenzie directs it. And, and it's a film then about brothers who you think are the bad guys at first. And then by the end, you can't tell. And it's a film that I didn't understand fully until I watched it. And I really mean this until like the 18th or 19th time where everything clicked. I, I understood like there are so many little nuances of that film. There's a point where you don't realize it's high noon until you watch it for like, Again, like the 18th or 19th time, you're like, this is the showdown of the movie. And look at their shadows. It is literally high noon. Like there are, there are so many little things about that film. It's a proper, it's a Western. It's a crime drama. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of like a modern spaghetti Western. Um, but it's set in regular times. It could happen right now. And it just deals, it happens in West Texas, which I fuck with. And it just deals with West Side. I don't, I don't know West Side. It 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 kind of ropes in all of these like economic issues with like the bank's control of of people and like how being broke is like a disease and how like a police officer can go from doing their job to seeking vengeance like that. And man, watching that film once. That's all I want anyone to get on because you could watch that film a hundred times and 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 not get over it. And yeah, dude, it's I think it's uh, it's one of those films that ranks so high for me, and not a lot of folks know about it. So that would be my that's my dope shit. That is a great teaser review <laughs> endorsement. Wait, yeah, when did dude. it come out? When did it come out? Like I'm catching know. royalties or something. Uh, no, uh, 2016. All right, Carlin. Dope, dope. Um, my dope shit. Well, I, I have to one the Andrew Schultz uh, special. If you haven't checked it out, it's it's great and brilliant joke writing. Um, and it's it's one of those you watch, but you have to pause. 
I've never actually done that for 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 comedy special. There's no audience. He's just doing his monologue stuff about you know what's happened this year, but which is brilliant, I think. But two, there's so many. It's like the um, who used to do this. Well, I mean, think of like the Daily Show when they're talking. There's a box up top, and then it illustrates whatever he's talking about. But it goes so fast that if you blink, you could miss a joke or you could miss a reference. And there's just so many of them packed it's in these 15 minute parts that I'm like, wow, that that's a lot. That's a lot there. Um, another show I want. I started watching that Queen's Gambit thing. You guys watch this? Mm, the chess thing. Yeah, I'm not into. I chess. haven't seen it yet. Yeah, I'm not into chess. I mean, it was like one number one trending in Netflix. I was like, my girl was watching it, and so you got to watch it. I'm like, okay, and it's it it reminds me of uh, uh, the Miss. It's like a Miss Maisel show, but about chess. Sure. There's this there's this girl who's great at she's naturally gifted at this thing, and she's going to break down the barrier because guys are assholes in the '60s. And she's going to show her that she can be the best and blah, blah, blah. I'm not, I'm not done with it yet. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by little like subcultures. And yet I, I read something that said like when the, when the show came out, like people were Googling chess boards online like crazy. Yeah, way more people started like buy and play chess because yeah. of the show. Exactly. They made it cool. So, exactly, which, which is great. I'm all for it. I, I still don't know how to play chess, but to hear people who know about it, talk about it, I, I, I find that fascinating. I don't have to understand it, but it's interesting to see how people interact in that, in that context. And that's the kind of uh, shit I like. So anyway, the Romo Room plugs where people can find you and all that good stuff, Rob. Uh, yeah. So uh, we, we finally bought the goddamn domain. Uh, well, we're going to buy the proper domain in Austin. But in the meantime, we bought uh, the domain for the Romo Room. So theromoroom.com uh, is where we're going to have tickets and show information and all that kind of stuff. Uh, we got some big stuff. Uh, we got some really big stuff coming up. A lot of it is still quiet because we don't have the details and things aren't finalized. Um, as far as the room, uh, we think we have uh, maybe some very exciting developments about the physical venue that we want to do. Uh, so that could be a new thing. Um, but I guess we can announce today because it's confirmed. I <laughs> look at Pat uh, like, yeah, 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 fuck it, exclusive, let's go, 2020. So yeah, this is our exclusive let's thing. Uh, 2020 is over. Uh, our first, I think it will be our first uh, show of 2021. Definitely our next celebrity headliner series. Uh, we got Brett Ernst, uh, who I really, really just have been a huge fan of for mm-hmm. over 10 years. Saw, saw him on uh, Vince Vaughn's uh, Wild West comedy show like 12 years ago, whenever that was. And he came into my attention and I just kept paying attention to him. He's a fucking hilarious, like just Guido, New Jersey dude. He has a couple of great episodes of This Is Not Happening, uh, the Comedy Central series. Uh, but yeah, killer, killer dude. Brett Ernst, really exciting. Uh, I think that's the 8th and 9th of January, uh, second weekend there. But uh, that'll be at the Brass Tap of the Domain. And uh, tickets will be on sale fairly soon, actually, once we get some uh, promo stuff made up and, and get everything created. But yeah, man, exciting stuff, and uh, we're already talking to our our celebrity headliner for February. Uh, not confirmed yet, so we can't say who that is. Um, Are you looking at we one also show? Have a, 
Yeah, for the celebrity headliner series at the domain for that one show, we've got a once a month engagement right now. But okay. we want to start putting up a bunch of other things. We we've worked with other venues. We were at the venue with you. Uh, we might be going back there. Um, yeah, a bunch of stuff kind of in the works. We we have a few meetings to take before we can officially talk about things. Uh, but it's very exciting, and you know the stuff that we've been doing has caught some attention, and uh, you know people want to collaborate with us. And so yeah, we're excited to keep putting it up. And we're gonna have a lot of smaller stuff too. It won't just be like you know, huge headliners from now on, and we're going to forget about the people in town. First of all, we always put up our local features and stuff around them, uh, which we get excited about. But we want to do some smaller stuff, too. I've got some really good friends in L.A. Uh, and New York who are great comics who aren't, like, huge. But they've got a really solid, you know, 30, 40-minute headlining set that they'd love to come in down and do for us. And we could put more comics up around them since they're doing less time. And so uh, we're hoping to do two shows a month starting January minimum. Mm -hmm. And it'll be like an every two week thing. And if we can do more, we'll do more and we'll keep you up to date. You're such a project manager. Hey man, always. <laughs> always. Right, Pat, Pat, what do you got? We are at Mr. Tramps this Saturday, which I'm stoked about. Mr. Tramps is, I don't want to say legendary, but at least it used to have stand-up comedy and it used to be a great room for, for stand-up. And yeah, we're there this Saturday. Uh, it's the Naughty List presented by First Amendment Comedy, uh, subletted by Roma Room. I don't know how to actually word the title <laughs> of this, but Ozzy will be on it, Dean will be on it, Gabe Davis will be on it, fucking Nasia will be on it, Nate, Great Nate will be Pingen. on it, big, big Nate. Um, and I'll be hosting, and it's gonna be a rad time, five dollars at the door. And yeah, dude, just excited to, to finish the year strong. Like Rob said, we got a lot of projects down the pipeline. And dude, a lot of great stuff coming and back. This is part of it, bro. Having him on this deal is it, it means a lot, and we're excited oh, really to be on this. You'll see yeah. my black ass around. Trust me. I mean, you'll you'll see me around. Do you, do you Wait, follow? Did you soccer? say your back ass? What's that? You said you Rob's doing back it again. Ass, that? Ah, he's doing it again. Rob's doing it again. <laughs> uh, you gonna end the show like this, man? My my own show. No. <laughs> back. I was gonna ask if you follow soccer at all. Ball, I used to. It's tougher now. Uh, I I usually watch when Paris plays because that's where I'm from. Okay. I try to I try to watch as much as possible. But okay. uh, the European Cup, World Cup, I'm always African Cup too. I'm on it. I'm on that. Okay. I was gonna ask if you knew who I was gonna say you looked like. Go ahead. Angola Conte. Okay, I'll take it. Okay. <laughs> I'll take you it. never stop smiling. You never stop smiling. I feel like that's a that's a fair that's a fair draw. No, no, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. Thank you. I think that's yeah, a compliment. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much for being on, guys. I'm gonna do I wanna do more of these. You know, I want I want to catch up with you guys later and and see what's up. You'll definitely see me around. Next dude, time. let's. I'll teach you how to play chess, dude. Uh, I'm, neg I'm I'll negative. I'm negative. I'll all take right, tranquil right. tranquilizer pills and then try to picture it on the on the ceiling like she does in the show. I'm not spoiling okay. anything. It is in the first episode. But uh, anyway, I'm, I'm really excited for you guys. I'm really happy for you guys. Uh, you, I definitely man. need it these days. Rest in peace, Cap City. So it's, it's going to be more. I think there's a need for comedy now more than ever. Uh, it sucks that they have to shut down. It sucks that clubs have to shut down. But I think that uh, after the year we just had, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to come back strong. So gotta have that momentum ride that wave 
go out there, support comedy, support local comedy, whatever the price is. I mean, you're, you're, you need this. You need this. It's, it's I'm surprised that's considered, considered essential. So, uh, anyway, as always, um, follow the feedback everywhere. Uh, feedback. That was for you. I, 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 <laughs> you can use you that. You have to call. It's right there. Just follow it. Just follow. Just right, your promo, dog. Just okay. follow me. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. All right. Thank you so much, guys. And we'll talk to you next time. Tash out. And happy new year. Happy new year. 2020 is over. Let's do this. 2021. Ciao.